I know candy is very exciting to talk about. So just curious, when you think of candy, you've got the, uh, the fruity kind, and then you've got the chocolate. So who are, who are the chocolate people? And who are the fruity people? Chocolate wins. Just saying. Chocolate peanut butter. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. So first of all, I, uh, I want to remind you about the feasibility meeting this afternoon. Not feasibility, was the discerning. Anyway, y'all need to come. It's this afternoon. Uh, center of Belonging, it's from 4 to 6, and again, we really want uh, to be able to listen to the Lord, to discuss the feasibility report, and to really pray about this decision and whether or not we're supposed to move forward or not. So that is just another reminder. Um, we're going to talk about fragrance for the first few minutes and aromas. And so I want you to think about apple pie. Got it? Oh, nutmeg, cinnamon, the apples, the golden crust, right? You can smell it, right? Okay, now think of your favorite cologne or perfume. My favorite men's cologne is Obsession. When I smell it, I'm like, oh, oh, or... Elizabeth Arden's Sunflowers, that's one of my favorite perfumes. Now I want you to think about nature. Oh, there is nothing like the smell of rain. After it rains, there's that earthy smell. It's a great smell. Or if you go to the beach and it smells that salt water and it's just, oh, the scent is just amazing. Or the scent of a rose or a magnolia tree. It is amazing. And when I've said this to you, you could, it kind of comes up in your mind and you could smell it. And those are things that are a pleasing aroma. And then we have things that are not so pleasing, like lutefisk. I've actually never smelled it, but I hear it's really bad. <laughs> My favorite place to go is the garbage dump in St. Paul to get rid of stuff. It costs money, but I don't care. But it's an amazing place to just get rid of stuff. You pay for it, you go. But it smells nasty. And I could smell that right now. Or body odor. My son loves to bring up his arm. Smell me, mom. Smell me. That's really bad. 19-year-old boy. Mm, no, no. That is not a pleasing odor. That is not a pleasing aroma or dirty clothes. That's just nasty. And then there are places that I just won't go because I can't go to porta potties because I've had such bad experiences because those are just really bad aromas. So let's just go back to the apple pie. <sighs> Are you there? Okay, good. So the last part of the scripture today, from Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Paul encourages us 
to live a life of love like Christ. And he uses this Old Testament image of a fragrant offering. It is in reference to the sacrificial offering given to God as the temple as an atonement for our sins. And Jesus' sacrifice for us was considered as this fragrant offering. But our actions towards each other can be like a fragrant offering, a beautiful scent of maybe your favorite candle, or it could be like a stench, like the garbage dump in St. Paul. So the question this morning, Mill City, is how do we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so our scent is a pleasing aroma to God with those that we come in contact with every day, our family and our friends and our coworkers? Because let's be honest, the scent of Christianity is not always very pleasing. So each week... This past eight weeks, we've uh, had people from the community come up and read the scripture. So Stephanie Kaihai is going to come up and read the scripture today from Ephesians uh, 4, verse 25 to chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 4, 24 through 5, 2. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steph. So let's talk about where we've been. For the last eight weeks, we have been in Ephesians, and we have been talking about the Jesus-centered church is propelled by. We started off talking about it's propelled by God's grace. And what does that mean? Because Paul is really talking about God reconciling us through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection. It was an act of grace through faith. So it was about our redemption. It was about our salvation. And that was much more individual. That's where we started. And then we talked about peacemaking and unity and reconciling Jew and Gentile through the cross and how he broke down Jesus' uh, coming 
broke down this barrier of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles through his death. So then you're talking about these two groups coming together. And then we talked about the mystery. Paul talks about the reconciliation of these two groups into one body to promote unity and to promote maturity. And then also Paul talks about prayer for understanding, having an understanding of a deeper wisdom of God's fulfillment. So we have all these things that we've been talking about. It's about these individuals, it's about groups coming together, and now this passage is really pointed at us. It's pointed at our behavior. So this week, the Jesus-centered church propels us to forgive. But I want to talk about these other ways God has called us to act for his purposes as a body of believers. Because these are things that we're supposed to daily walk out with Christ. So the reason the chapter or this uh, verse starts out with therefore in verse 25, it's because before that, Paul is talking about putting off the old self, the old dirty clothes, and putting on the new clothes, the new way. Because that was the former way that we used to do this. We used to live, and now we're living a new life. And some of y'all know what y'all were like before. I'm just saying. I know what I was like before. Okay, some of y'all who were seven years old when you accepted Christ, you didn't really do anything. You didn't have a life. But some of us did. Okay? Some of us knew what we were like before, and those are the things we were supposed to put off. And so this scripture is really broken down into the negative things and the positive things, and usually with a, a reason why. So Paul is very direct in his description. There is no, it's clear. Like there's no trying to figure, oh, what's Paul trying to say? No, no, he is saying this. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully. That means we're not to lie on each other. And why? Why can't we lie on each other, Paul? Because we are members of one body. If you've been in a family where lying has gone on or in a church, you know what that causes, that tension, that dissension that that causes. Paul also says, in your anger, do not sin. Okay, so what is Paul really saying? Paul is saying, it's okay to be anger, angry, but don't sin. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Because there's some reasons that we should be angry. Racism, sexism, all the isms, right? There are reasons to be angry, but there are, there, it doesn't give us a reason to be out of control. It doesn't give us a reason to be destructive. But he is saying, in our anger, do not sin. Don't be irrational or out of control. He also says, don't let the devil get a foothold. Because when we stay in our anger and we let it fester, it could lead to hate and to bitterness. He also says, do not steal. Because you shouldn't be stealing. You need to work for what you have. Why? Because we are here to help others in need. And also he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but that which edifies and is building up. 
So talking about or talking to others negatively. Why? Because people are listening to you speak about others. And why is this important? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit. It saddens the Holy Spirit. It saddens the Holy Spirit in which we were sealed. And what does that mean? That we were sealed? Because in the first century, seals were used to show ownership or authority. So when we said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in us when we said yes. So the things I mentioned were not sweet aromas or fragrances that are pleasing to our Lord, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And an unforgiving heart can have all of these feelings and these characteristics of an aroma that feels like a stench, like bitterness and malice and anger and unwholesome talk and slander, grieving the Holy Spirit and unforgiveness. And unforgiveness feels like a weight. Think of a heavy backpack or a computer bag or a diaper bag, because they can be heavy too or a suitcase. Can you imagine having to carry this around everywhere you go, everything that you're doing? So visualize yourself with your diaper bag or your backpack or your computer bag or whatever you carry to class, to work, hanging with your families and friends, coaching your kids sports, driving. You go to the club if you're still going to the club, right? You're going to church, got my backpack, got my, got my stuff. You're attending a small group. You go to bed with this. You go everywhere with this. There is not a lot. If I were to put this on my back, I don't want to mess up my cord. So I'm not putting it on my back. But can you imagine going everywhere with this, there is no freedom of movement. It's limited, it's heavy, it's uncomfortable, it's confining, and it's all-consuming. But I have found freedom in forgiveness. A number of years ago, I was a social worker at a maternity shelter in the Bronx, and I was working with a group of amazing single moms who were serving in the Bronx and just sharing their stories about being single moms. And there was one in particular young lady that I worked really closely with. And she basically, in a meeting, called me out on something that I had done, a conversation I had with her about something that I had found in the office. They were called the mentors. And I had talked to her about it, and we laughed, joked, moved on. But then she blindsided me in a meeting. First of all, there's nothing worse than being misunderstood. <laughs> and it was, it was a hard meeting. And I seethed. I'm like, how dare she? All I've done for her? Helped her? And now you're going to call me out in front of people? Yeah, I was saved then, but I had some words. There was not 
there was some unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth. I remember going to a uh, uh, was it on a weekend retreat, adult weekend retreat, and I seethed all weekend because I think it happened on a Thursday or a Friday. This meeting, all weekend, I could not let it go. All I kept thinking is, how could she have done this with all that I have done for her? I withdrew. I didn't enjoy the retreat. I was hurt. I was stuck. It was all consuming. And we know that scripture says that we are called to forgive, but it is not easy. In Colossians 3, 13 through 15, it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Paul addresses these earthly nature, our earthly nature again, in Colossians, and putting off that old self, the dirty clothes, and getting rid, of our, getting rid of anger and malice and slander and filthy language and lying to each other. And these are definitely relational areas of behavior that could bring such dissension and hurtfulness. N.T. Wright says this about forgiveness. He says, it is utterly inappropriate for one who knows the joy and the release of being forgiven to refuse to share that blessing with another. It is highly presumptuous to refuse to forgive one whom Christ himself has already forgiven. Christ has already forgiven them. Who are we not to forgive? N.T. Wright is a great theologian, scholar, good friend of John Donne. John Donne knows everybody. But we grieve the Holy Spirit in which we, which we were sealed when we don't forgive. And Christ really sets this standard of the virtue of human behavior when it comes to forgiveness and love. And we are to reflect his image because Paul is encouraging the people of Ephesians and Colossians to develop these characteristics that would mark them as Christians. And I know we know this in our head. Yeah, I'm supposed to forgive. Yeah, yep, I got it. Got it, Donna. But it doesn't change the fact that it is difficult to forgive when we have been hurt and we have been deeply, deeply wounded. But that didn't matter to me in that meeting. I was hurt by someone and I spent hours, countless hours, seething. So some of you may be thinking, of course, Donna, it's Jesus. He forgives. It's not me. He doesn't understand that I was abused by my dad and my mom knew. He doesn't understand that my current husband or my ex-husband was unfaithful and emotionally abusive. He doesn't know the pain and the wound caused by a rape experienced by another Christian. God, he doesn't know. He doesn't know the offhanded remarks by a friend that cuts me to the core. He doesn't know how many times I've had to deal with direct and indirect racism 
amongst my so-called friends. You're asking me to forgive? He doesn't know I'm just being tired. I'm tired of being hurt by people. He doesn't get the hurt I felt knowing my son or daughter was introduced to drugs as a freshman by seniors in high school. He doesn't understand the spiritual abuse that I endured in a church, and I am barely here today. He doesn't know. And you want me to forgive? He does. He does know. He was there. He's omnipresent. And he was there in the pain. But he wants healing for you, and he wants restoration, and he wants wholeness. And what happened doesn't have to define you. You are a child of God. We are children of God. We are sealed with the blood of Christ. But that's the kind of stuff that Jesus died for. He died for the person who slandered you, the person who abused you, the friend who always has to one-up you, for the person who killed your friend or family member, and that has happened to some of us. He died for the sins we commit every day, but the idea of forgiving someone who hurt us doesn't come naturally. (laughs) We usually want to fight back, right? We want to fight back. We want to see justice served, and maybe even we want to see some blood. We want to see some pain. We want a lot of pain. Steve Sandage and Ron LaSchultz uh, wrote a book called The Faces of Forgiveness, Searching for Wholeness and Salvation. And this is what they say about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process of reducing one's motivation for avoidance and revenge and increasing one's motivation for goodwill toward a specific offender. decreasing. It's a process. The Greek, the main Greek words translated forgiveness in the New Testament means to manifest grace. So the stuff that we think in our minds that we want to happen to this person or persons, the heartache and the pain we want them to receive, we reduce through the process of forgiveness. So you think about Peter in the Bible. He had a hard time forgiving himself for betraying Christ, his Lord, his Savior, his friends. But again, this is what Jesus died for. Manifesting grace for ourselves can be, take just as long for us as it is to forgive others. So this process is really a journey. And I am not suggesting those who have been traumatized or victimized to expect these immediate feelings of forgiveness. That doesn't happen. They're not going to just rise to the surface. Sandage and Schultz also say this about forgiveness. Quick decisions to forgive following trauma are more likely to be a defense against the pain and loss than genuine forgiveness. But I will say what encourages us as believers in this process of forgiveness are stories from God's word like Joseph who forgave his brothers after how they treated him. When I think of the, the people and the church at the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church back on the East Coast, the gentleman who walked in and gunned down nine people from a Bible study that he was invited into 
I think about people like Mary and O'Shea. They have come to Bethel. They have spoken several times. Mary and O'Shea live on the north side. O'Shea killed Mary's son as a teenager. She forgave him, invited him into her house. I'm like, how did you do that? How does that actually happen? But somehow she found a way to forgive O'Shea for killing her son. But I'm hoping that these stories help us move on this journey so we don't get stuck and give the devil a foothold and we lose the joy of living. It's a process, and it could take many years, but there's freedom in forgiveness. Sandage and Schultz also say there are three phases in processing forgiveness. They say you got to engage in lament. This is where you're feeling the emotional pain and the acknowledgement of anger, sadness, shame, and confusion. And that's exactly where I was with that situation back in the Bronx many years ago. Secondly, you're encouraging empathy and humility. He says, encouraging empathy or compassion is the capacity to become aware of the suffering and weaknesses of our offenders while still holding them responsible for moral wrongdoing. There are feelings of care that we have for them, just being a human being, but it doesn't mean the relationship will continue. What Mary did with O'Shea that's an unusual situation. Sometimes we need to forgive, but that doesn't mean we're always going to be in relationship with each other because we've got to guard ourselves and we've got to care for ourselves. And thirdly, extending the narrative horizon. This is where, through the difficulties, you're able to envision a positive future story or narrative horizon. This offers opportunities to experience forgiveness as a life practice. There is freedom in forgiveness. So we are to put off the falsehood, the anger, the malice, the bitterness, and we put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. We put on the new self, we put on the new clothes, we get rid of the dirty clothes, and we outwardly express Christ-likeness only through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be clothed with Christ and link our identification to Christ because we know Christ's sacrificial offering of himself on the cross was a culmination of the sacrificial, sacrificial system. Jesus demonstrated his love for us and gave us a model for loving each other. So when we put away the old self and we become Christ-like, we speak truth. We do get angry, but we don't sin. We don't let it get out of control. We don't let the sun go down. Herb and I try to practice that. Even if we can't talk, there's at least an acknowledgement of, okay, let's try this tomorrow. We put on kindness. We put on compassion. 
We build up. We don't tear down. We are walking daily in the way of love. So Jesus giving of himself was obviously a sacrificial, pleasing aroma to the Father. And we can also be a pleasing aroma, a sweet-smelling aroma, as we give ourselves in love to others through compassion, through kindness, and care. So Arlene, this young lady, um, I couldn't let it go. And I go to a prayer meeting that following week, and my friend Jennifer says, oh, you have to pray for her. Really? I don't have to pray for anybody. <laughs> I wasn't the prayer lady yet. I didn't have to pray for anybody. <laughs> you have to pray for her, Donna. I, I, I didn't want to. I'll never forget where we're sitting, front row of the church. I'm like bawling. I can't pray for her. I'm like, it's ugly cry, the whole thing. I can't, I, I can't, I like, I, it won't even come up. Somehow, through the tears, through the anger, through, the, through it all, I started praying for her. And you can't tell me that wasn't a God moment. Because literally, the weight that I had been carrying left. It left. That was God. That was God. So she pushed me. And it was hard. But that unforgiving heart was lifted. And the weight of my anger and my disappointment and my sadness was gone. Now, don't get me wrong, I was still guarded with her. But I found freedom in letting go and forgiving her. Even in the last two weeks, I was reminded of something that I had said. I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them for what they did. This is like in the middle of preparing my message today, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, Lord. Like, God brought this up to my head. Like, seriously. All right, forgiveness is a process. It really is a process, and I know that there's freedom in it, and I know about that weight of holding on. But I even put the bag down with that, what I said. I will never forgive them. I've had to release that to the Lord, and if I have to do that every day, I will do it every day. I want the worship team to come up. Because I want to get back to the question is, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so our scent is pleasing aroma to God with those that we come in contact with? First of all, we have to surrender to God those hurts. Even though I couldn't even come up with, I can't forgive her, God, I can't. Like, you can say that. We have a God that can handle that. Like, I can't do it, God. I'm acknowledging that I can't do it. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to help me. So you surrender those hurts to God. You confront when you need to, but always do it in the right spirit. And you allow God to heal. You allow God to heal through his word, through prayer, through therapy, whatever it takes. There is freedom and forgiveness, and it is worth it.
Let's pray. Mm. Father God, it is only through your Holy Spirit that we can do anything. So we thank you for what you are going to do when it comes to this area of forgiveness. Lord, I know that there may be people that are struggling with this. And Father, the only thing I could do is say, help me, Lord, to forgive. So I pray for those people specifically to just help them. Help them to heal in time. Help them to heal with your word. Help them to heal with prayer. Help them to heal with a therapy. Whatever it takes, God. Because I know that you want us to be free. You don't want us to carry around the baggage of an unforgiving heart. Because I know what you have done for us. I know the sacrifice you have done and you have made for us. So as N.T. Wright says, who are we not to forgive? I thank you, Lord, for this time. And Father, as we get ready for communion, I pray that you would reveal to us the things that we need to confess to you, the things that we struggle with, the anger, the bitterness, the rage. Help us to be able to come before you with a heart that is prepared to surrender. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done. And we will continue to trust you for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.